had 30 something after banging all them years. Grammy nominated, in the sign of shedding tears. All this money, power, fame, and I can't make you reappear. But I'll wipe them though. We just embrace the only life we know. If it was me, I'd tell you, nigga, live your life and grow. I tell you, finish what we started, reach them heights, you know. And gas the V12 to the pipe and smoke. I was riding around in the V12 with the rags in the middle. Had to pray to Almighty God, they let my dog out the kennel. When you get it straight up by the mud, you can't imagine this shit. I've been pulling up in the drop tops with the baddest bitches. Young nigga been focused on my check. Mm-hmm. Got a new coupe wrapped around my neck. What's up, what's up, what's good with it, everybody? We back again for another episode of the Pick and Roll Podcasting. First and foremost, Sam, what's good? What up, world? We got basketball royalty with us today. Now, I know a lot of people are wondering, who are they talking about? What basketball royalty they got? So I ain't going to say the name just yet. I'm going to just throw a couple things out there and see if y'all can touch on it. This particular player that we got on the show today, Conference USA all-time leader in points. Conference USA all-time leader in assists. Conference USA all-time leader in three-pointers made. Also, along with that, he is the only player in NCAA Division I history to have over 2,500 points and over 750 assists. Basketball royalty. I mean, as simple as that, man. Also goes down as Marshall's all-time leading scorer. So I guess by now, after I said that, y'all know who it is. John Elmore. It's, I mean, West Virginia legend. John, what's good? What's going on, man? Let's get it, baby. I'm hyped. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying to put this together for a while, man. So it's, it's dope that we finally got to do it. Stuff and settled down for John a little bit. So we got uh, we're going to have us a nice little episode today, man. We're going to start it off by... Uh, just talking to John, asking him a few questions and whatnot, just to, you know, uh, break the ice a little bit and just to help our audience get to know him a little better. Um, John, so as far as your journey, go ahead and give people a little bit of a background, uh, a rundown as to what you did. We know you were at VMI first and then uh, things went, things didn't go too well with your family. So you had to come back and turn out to be a blessing in itself, huh? No, for sure. Um, yeah, somebody asked me the other day, like, if you could go back five and a half years, would you have scripted any different? And I said, nah, not at all. I mean, I just, I think I got lucky the way it worked out. Uh, like you said, had the family issue, left school, had never talked to Marshall, had never met Coach D'Antoni, uh, enrolled at He gave me a tryout, and the uh, rest is history, so... How it all worked out, hanging a banner, winning the NCAA championship game, cutting down nets, man, breaking records. Um, I don't think it could have been scripted any better. That's a fact, man. You you definitely went through uh, a nice little journey at Marshall, man. It's not too many people that can say they've accomplished what you accomplished. And it's, it's dope. Me and you was talking before the podcast started that I actually got to witness the growth happen, like, from back to Joplin Park, for those who don't know, yeah. that's a, a basketball court that we got in West Virginia. And uh, we, we, man, me and Sam both, we, we've been true witnesses of, of what John has accomplished, man. And we couldn't be more proud. So we'll go ahead and open the floor up to Sam. Sam, you got some questions for John? Yeah. Um, first, just touching on what you just said about watching the growth. I, I had talk, I talked to John a couple weeks ago when I told him, I remember the first time I seen him play against uh, Cap when he was a freshman. 
And I was like, dang, who was that? And just watching him grow from that player all the way to who he is now and still getting better, it's just been something special to watch. But, um, yeah, one of the main questions that I got for you, John, is um, have you had a chance to um, really sit back and really process the magnitude of your career and what you did at Marshall? Um, A little bit, not really. Um, My biggest thing is, like, I've always just – tried to attack whatever's right in front of me and it's always been we got a game next Tuesday we got practice the next day we got uh we got one off day then we got weights and then we got practice and then we got another game so it's always been like I've been so locked into what's going on in the season like I haven't got to take a step back and just think about it all I'm sure in a couple weeks or a year or two I'll be like dang man like we had a great run and that was, that was just crazy. But right now I'm so like focused on grinding and trying to improve and make the most of every day that like, I haven't looked back and I know I'm going to regret it, man. I'm going to be like, man, I should have enjoyed that more. I should have thought about that more, but one day, hopefully I'm going to sit on my rocking chair or something, just relax and, and, and look back and just think about everything and smile and laugh and just think about how good of a time it was. Okay. Yeah. This, this, um, that's basically the answer that I that I hear a lot of other guys say, like like LeBron and them guys. They always talk about not really, not really paying attention to what all you've really accomplished until it's all really over. So I just wanted to get your take on that as well. Yeah, yeah I, I got a couple questions as well. My uh, I guess my first one is you you did a lot. You accomplished a lot like throughout your career so far, and I'm I'm sure you've got a lot more to accomplish, but. If you could look back on anything you've done throughout your entire basketball career, what would you say was your most memorable moment? Um, I got engaged on senior night. That was my, dope. That yeah. was dope. My girl probably going to listen to this, so I, you know, I had to throw that out there. Make sure, <laughs> make sure I didn't get hit or something later. But, uh, shoot, winning the conference tournament, um, that was just nuts. Nobody picked us to win. Uh, we kind of been up and down throughout the year. We come out three games in three days, just rolling. Um, championship game, we're up one point, twelve to fifteen seconds to go. Guy drives down the lane, shoots a floater. I swear on everything, I thought it went in. I was like, man, we were so <laughs> close. The ball goes in, rolls out, pops out. We get the rebound. We go dancing. First round, they fly us to San Diego. Everybody's family's there. Place is packed. Uh, we're playing at San Diego State. Wichita State was top 25 all year long. It just kind of dogged them, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, winning that game and winning the conference tournament, I mean, that was the first That was the first time in 30 years Marshall had been to the NCAA tournament, had never won a game in the history of the school. And we did all of that last year. So I, I'd say that's probably the top of my career right there. I, I couldn't imagine any other answer, bro. I, I, I will probably remember that for the rest of my life. I was actually in uh, South Carolina when you guys were playing Western Kentucky in the finals of the Conference USA. And my cousin was getting married, so we were having, like, a party the night before. And everybody was downstairs partying and dancing and all of this stuff. And – I got the alert to my phone that the game was starting. I went straight upstairs <laughs> and tuned in. And oh, when my I God. Well, when I tell you that I had family running upstairs asking me, was everything all right? I was <laughs> that loud. Like, I swear, my, my family ran upstairs. was like, you all right? I'm like, yeah, the whole time I'm yelling, let's go, John. Right, Like, right. you was out there cooking. 
Like you got hot at one point in time, and it was just like no turning back from there. And like, y'all know it was, how it is when you hoop and you just sometimes, you know, it don't happen often. Every, every now and then it happens. You just get in that zone where it's like, dude, I can shoot a hook shot. I can shoot a step back, <laughs> fade away. Like everything you shoot, you like when it leaves your hand, it's going in. And I felt like I just got in my zone that second half. And literally I could have thrown up a left hook and I thought it was going in. So that was just nuts. I can, bro, I can imagine it. Because it was, you know, when as a hooper and you're watching basketball, you can tell just by the look on people's faces and the way that they're carrying themselves on the court, you can tell whether they're locked in or not. And from the first three ball I saw you slap, I'm like, oh, it's on. <laughs> it's it's on. I can already see it on him. Like he was, he was ready for it. So yeah, yeah, man, that was memorable for me as well. Yeah, I don't know what your actual heat check moment in that game was, <laughs> but uh, to me, when I knew that you was feeling it for sure, was when you slapped that uh, that three from the hash. Oh yeah, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. getting a little hesitation, just let yeah. it fly, man. I remember literally, like you said, what's your most memorable moment? I remember that like it was yesterday. I mean, I came down probably three, four times in a row. I hit one double clutch at the end of the shot clock, kind of leaning double clutch, man. And like you said, you get in that zone, and it's just it's your day. It doesn't matter who's checking you. Yeah, it's I, what what impressed me the most about that season was that. There were only two players in the entire nation that ended that season in the top 10 in points and in the top 10 in assists. One of those players was Trey Young. That goes to show how crazy that is. The That's other player, exactly. The other player was you. And I brought that to a lot of people's attention because everybody, when, when all of that stuff happened, I was talking about you to everybody. And they were like, who who is he? Who's John Elmore? I'm like, look up the statistics and you'll see his name on both of those in both of those columns. And <laughs> if you haven't watched him play, tune into the tournament. And I had no idea that you guys would go out and do what you did to Wichita State. But yeah, man, I'm so happy that I told everybody to go watch because I'm <laughs> sure now everybody knows who John Elmore is. I had a few so- people hit my phone like yeah, yeah, yo, your boy really tough. And I'm like, yeah, and he's been like that. Like, he's been cut from that cloth. Like Sam said, it's, it dates back to far beyond what most people will believe. How Sam said freshman year, he remembers seeing you. I remember my dad taking me to Joplin Park. And you, I don't even think you were in high school yet. I was probably and middle, early, middle six, seventh yeah, grade. Yeah, yeah, you were really young. And I remember my dad telling me – uh. Yeah, you can come up here and hoop with us. It's uh, it's always kids up here hooping, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I remember coming up there, and I remember seeing you. I'm like, I know he's not hooping with y'all. Like he looks like he's not like he's not even old enough. And to my surprise, you were out there giving them adults buckets. Like <laughs> That's where it started for sure, man. It's crazy. So do you have like uh, have you ever had any like shooting competitions with your dad? Because for those who don't know. Your dad is basketball royalty as well. So do um, you guys, like, have you guys ever had, like, a shootout? Or did you have any moments in your life where you, your dad, or your brother were just like, you know what, let's have a shootout to say, see who the best shooter in the family is because it's – it, it wouldn't be close. I mean, it <laughs> would be close. It wouldn't be as far as people – wouldn't be as much of a distance as people would expect it to be. Your family is – they're natural-born ballers. Yeah, because yeah. I will have something to say about that, too. Exactly. No, because, I mean, 
Pops, he kind of old. You know, he ain't got the best knees anymore. So his elevation isn't really there. So yeah. shooting-wise, he might have declined a little bit. He still got some game. But uh, shooting-wise, I'd say me and I, you know, we, we fight all the time. We talk junk. That's just our nature. Uh, <laughs> we go at it. We probably – we split games. I'm not going to say he a better shooter than me. You know, he thinks he is. But I think we – I think we're pretty even, to be honest. He, he's going to say, nah, it's 80-20. And if I, was being, <laughs> if I was being mean, I'd be like, nah, I beat you 90-10. But I'm, 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 I'm going to say we about even, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to yeah. be nice about it. And I, for people who don't know your brother, that's not – He's not just saying that because that's his blood. Like, his brother is a shooter, too. Like, he's a killer. Like, you, you're you not going to leave guys. Like, you're basically, rule number one when you're playing against the Elmores is you never leave, never allow them to catch the ball and have a clear vision, clear view of the basket because it's going down. Now, if we're Later. talking off the dribble. I got him off the dribble. Pull up three, okay. step back, so he, he's done. But if we, like, straight catch-and-shoot spots, that's going to be real close. Yeah, and I can see that. And just like Sam said, <laughs> I'll never forget the first couple of times I heard him say that. It was in reference to y'all. Like, I think we was at um, – what's the, what's the uh, South Charleston Rec? Yeah. Uh, the the little Oaks. middle school Oaks. We was at Oaks. Yeah, Oaks and I, I remember Sam, every time y'all touched the ball, lay up. Lay up, like you, you leave know. it open. That's that's as good as a layup. It's a bucket. Exactly. Yeah. Sam refers to their three pointers as layups because it's that like that crazy. But let's uh, I want to ask you a, another question before we uh before we switch gears. So yeah, I got one more too. I know that I'll go ahead. You uh, you go ahead, Sam. I'll ask mine after yours. Yeah, I just want um, what was different going into this season coming off of the tournament win as far as like hype and everything was anything different yeah um expectations I mean just the atmosphere around the program uh you know the whole I mean we won the game against Wichita so we we advanced to the top 32 in the country so coming into this year we lost our big man he left school early signed an agent um so coming in it was like well we got to do that or it's a failure you know what I'm saying it's like that's the new bar and you got to repeat that. But what people don't understand is when you're at a mid-major and you lose a major piece, it's not like you got five McDonald's All-Americans walking in the door the next year and it's just total rebuild. You know what I'm saying? We uh, That kid, was our big dude was there three years. It took him a while to develop. We all had the chemistry. So when we lost him, I mean, it, it, it hurt us. So, I mean, the whole expectation the hype around the program was, man, we better get back to that top 32. We're going deeper, Sweet 16, Elite 8. I mean, so that was the goal. And, I mean, people treated us like that, which is – that's what you want at a program like that. You want to have – you want to be Gonzaga. You want to be Wichita State. You want to be VCU because the expectation around the team is so much better and people are so much more hype about basketball. When I got there, there was probably three to 4,000 people per home game. My last game, we're getting six, seven, eight thousand on the regular – so, I mean, yeah, the expectation, we didn't end it and have the greatest senior in the world. But, I mean, just the hype around the program now, people hear Marshall, they're like, oh, yeah, Marshall, they got some good basketball there. So, I think changing, the like, the the view and the perspective and the way people look at the program was kind of the biggest thing as I got older and each year went by. Yeah, Marshall, that's a school with a, with a real rich basketball tradition, really. Mm-hmm. So, I mean – that um that tournament win probably had people probably thinking like, oh we back we coming back but yeah I don't think people really do think about the fact that it's hard 
to rebuild mm-hmm. when you had a mid-major and right. how much really goes into those junior and senior-led teams. Those mm-hmm. those guys that's on campus learning for two, three, four years. No, I agree 100%. Big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even uh, to piggyback off of what Sam said, even uh, like early on, like your sophomore year, and when you had Stevie uh, Browning with you and that backcourt, that basketball team that y'all had, that was a really good basketball team. Like mm-hmm. that was a good ball club. And for you guys to turn around the next year, having lost Stevie, having lost Ryan Taylor, you guys were able to take it to where y'all did. And y'all took Marshall basketball to new heights. And I commend y'all tremendously for that. That's something that nobody can ever take away from that basketball team that you were a part of. Y'all, you guys – were able to hang a Conference USA championship banner along with winning the first ever tournament game for Marshall. Mm-hmm. So you guys will forever be part of Marshall history. But um, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about uh, your future and what you got planned. Like, uh, having entered your, your name into the draft last year, do you feel that that's prepared you – uh, for what you have to come as far as uh, li- going to the NBA or w- uh, going overseas, whatever you have planned. Do you think last year with them uh, getting to know your name and you g- being able to go through everything that you did, the process last year, and now that you're actually ready and now that you're actually uh, eligible to go ahead and go to the league after your college career is now finished? No, for sure. Um Last year when I did it, I mean, I kind of thought all along I was going to go back to school, but Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to test it. I wanted to see where I stood, stuff like that. And I'm really glad I did that because last year I had three workouts. I worked out with the Nets, the Raptors, and the Nuggets. So going to those workouts, matching up with those dudes, like uh, the Denver Nuggets workout, it was me and Shamari Pons were matched up. The big Mm. dudes were Tyler Cook from Iowa, Ethan Happ, Charles Matthews and uh, I'm forgetting one. I know there's another one, but so, I mean, those are elite level dudes that I was matched up with doing the NBA drills, playing three on three, playing live full court, stuff like that. So having that experience, just knowing what to expect. um, I I mean, I I think it puts me in a good position because everybody reads what's on the internet and who's a five star and where this dude plays and where that dude plays, you know, all oh, this guy's at Duke, this guy's at Kentucky. Oh, that guy's at Marshall. He, he's obviously not on their level, but at some point a real basketball game going to go on and you're going to have to step in between those lines and match up and all that internet hype, all the gurus, all the analysts, all the rankings, all the ratings, all the draft boards, all that goes out of the, out the window and can't nobody save you when you lay some up and you're in those lines. So I think that's, that's a big thing that people don't realize is a lot of guys get the hype and stuff, but until you do those workouts and you've matched up with those guys, I think it's a different ball game then. Yeah, really all that five star shit and whatnot, that all goes out the door once you walk through a college walk you once you walk on the college campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a great point that you touched on and I think that's one of the things that's gonna lead you to being as successful as you are because it's like you don't you've never been one of those people to get all into what people are saying and all of this stuff It's we it doesn't matter what anybody says you have to line up across from me and I know what I'm capable of mm-hmm. and the fact that you are getting the type of buzz that you are getting that gives me an extra chip to show you like 
I don't care about any of that. Right. Just, you got to do what you what they're saying you're capable of. You're going to have to show me. Mm-hmm. And not only are you going to have to do that, you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with me too because all of that hype that you're getting, I'm not getting. So you're looking at me like, just like you said, I'm a kid from Marshall. He don't got what I got because he's not Division One. He not he's not big time Division One like I am. But like you said, when you step on that court, all of that stuff is over with. It's flat out. It's showtime now. So I uh I, I think that that's going to give you an extra edge as well. But last question before we switch gears, man: If you could go anywhere, ideal destination. Where would you want to play? NBA wise? NBA wise. Oh, um I think the Rockets would be just dope. Um you know Harden Harden he, he probably got that position submitted. Uh Chris Paul he's doing all right, but I think playing in that system um I mean it's basically the same thing we run at Marshall, the D'Antoni system, that offense, you know, that's what Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire run. Now you got Harden and Capella, you got Chris Paul and Capella, um, I think playing that way and that style of basketball, uh, I think that fits me perfectly. Warriors, you know, I like to shoot a lot of threes. I knew that's, it. That's right up I knew alley. it. I knew it was coming. <laughs> but everybody going to be like, oh, John, I want to play on the Warriors. He's bandwagon. No, no. I'm totally system. I don't care. I want to win games, and I want to play the right way, and I think those two kind of fit my system the best out of everybody. But, I'm hey, I'm open to playing anywhere as long as I get a little clock and you paying my bills. That's it. Flat out. Yeah, and I, I couldn't have said it better, man. It's it's crazy because I was sitting here earlier thinking, and I'm like, if I wanted John to go somewhere, where would I want John to go? Definitely yeah, somewhere yeah. like, obviously Sam's going to say the Warriors because that's his mob. But it's crazy because the Rockets were the first team that popped into my head, and I'm like, you know what? Not only could John go down there and really – play John could go down there and be a huge asset for them because of exactly what you said similar systems basically the same thing you're running at Marshall so you're familiar with it already it's not like you have to come in and get acclimated to a whole new system it's not like you're a guy that came from somewhere like a a Notre Dame or UVA that actually plays like slow type of ball and they got to bring you up to speed like you're you're ready to step in and be able to be an asset to that offense. And not only that, they're in a position now where they can use a guy like you. Like you said, Chris Paul, I mean, Chris Paul's Chris Paul, but Father Time is knocking on his door. So with that being said, that opens the gate for up-and-coming guys that can use some of those minutes that he's not really, that they don't really want him to play because of his body. So not only would you benefit in that aspect, you would be able to come in and and be something super special with those minutes. Like I think if you got those minutes, if you get if they get, they gave you that clock, man, they're gonna mess around and look at you like, you know what? Even when Chris Paul does come back, we gonna have to find some minutes for this guy. <laughs> Cause, but but yeah, all all jokes aside, like no bias at all. I would love to see you play somewhere like that and. Another destination that I would like to see you go is somewhere like Sacramento. I wouldn't mind seeing you in Sacramento, uh, mostly because of the young core that they have. Mm-hmm. And I think that you would be a uh, an addition to that. They have guys that can shoot. They have guys that can fill it up. But I don't think that they have a, a plethora of that. Right. So adding you to it would only be like, whew. 
that De'Aaron Fox checking out. All right, let me. I could take a little break, and then here come John Elmore <laughs> busting you right in the grill. Like, nah, it ain't no taking no plays off. <laughs> yeah, and you got to guard him a whole totally different way. Exactly. Nah, exactly. it would be an interesting contrast for sure. Yeah, that's a fact. But uh, let's stay uh, college basketball. We'll, we'll hold keep... on, bro. Hold on, bro. Last thing before we one thing we ain't give props for is uh, John and Gay Elmore is the highest scoring father son duo. NCAA history. That's beautiful. I didn't know that statistic. For real? Yeah, they um they passed uh Steph and his dad. Yeah. And uh third was uh Hersey Hawkins and his dad. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's huge, John. Like, what is it? Over five thousand points, right? Yeah, so I had I think twenty six hundred some. My dad had twenty four hundred some. So one of my la I think one of my last games, either the second to last or third to last. We pass. I hit a shot and we passed them. And to be honest, that's probably one of my favorite records uh, that we did yeah, that I beat is just dope. having that with him. And I mean, that's that's the history of college basketball father son duos. You know, that's not an individual school record or a conference record. That's that's the whole history of college basketball. So having that with him is definitely definitely some fire. That's beautiful. It is. It is. So let's uh let's switch gears and keep John with us a little longer, man. Let's let's talk some other college basketball. Um, Zion has just entered the NBA draft, but prior to him doing so, he became the third freshman ever to win a Naismith and a Wooden Award. I want to ask you two guys, where does he rank among those three? Now, the other two guys alongside him are freshman Kevin Durant, freshman Anthony Davis. Now, it's going to be hard, but we have to block out everything we know about Anthony Davis and everything we know about Kevin Durant post-college. Let's talk just college. If you had to rank the three, how would you rank those guys as far as talent is concerned? Pure talent off of those three guys, freshman year, one season, how would you rank them? John, we'll start off with you. Oh, man. That's tough. Uh, not factoring <laughs> in NBA at all. Yeah, so you got to go first, Sam. Go ahead. <laughs> <coughs> I'm going to go ahead and still say that it's going to go in the order that you would put them in if you took NBA into account, honestly. I think that um, – well, actually, no. I'm going to say Anthony Davis. Yeah. Impact. Anthony, I mean – he won the national title. He I, Anthony Davis definitely had the largest impact in college. Then he averaged four blocks. Or something. Yeah, he led the he led the nation in blocks. Yeah, and then damn, between KD and Zion, it's kind of tough. It is. It's a lot closer than people would would expect it to be. Right, especially when you go off just college. Like you're not. Yeah. I mean, if you go in the NBA, you go say KD, AD, and then Zion, but. If you don't factor that in straight, I think you. I think like you said, I think you have to put AD first, regardless. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, you. <laughs> it's hard not to factor in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like this dude is unbelievable. KD scores on everybody, walking bucket. I mean, NBA is it's tough. So, I think I think you put them right side by side. Um, but yeah, I, think I think it's, it's close either way. It's one and then two A, two B. Yeah. Oh, it's tough as hell, bro. I, I, go ahead. I want to say KD first, then some of the things that Zion was able to do this year was unbelievable. So then I want to say Zion, but then I feel like that's going with 
the guy that we just recently saw. I haven't seen much of KD in college since he was in college. So right. it, it's hard, man. It's it's tough. But AD definitely number one. And then for since I since we got to pick, I'm gonna go KD two, and I'm going Zion at three. Yeah, I'm probably the same boat for sure. Yeah, I'm going to shake it up a little bit, though. I've definitely got the same. I have the same number one as you guys. AD is definitely, to me, he's probably the best freshman I've ever watched. Like, it was just – it was insane. Like Sam said, he went on to win a national championship, so that automatically gives him the leg up. But as far as the other two are concerned, it's it's difficult because KD was – he's always been one of my favorite players, even dating back to college. Like, he was he was amazing. I remember watching him and A.C. Law, who played for Texas A&M, go at it multiple times throughout the year. And I just remember A.C. Law was a guy who had been there for a while. And KD was a guy, like we all know, as a freshman. And he was just, like, unbelievable. Like, I had never seen a freshman with that much poise and that much offensive talent. So – uh, it's hard to go against him, but I'm going to go AD1 and Zion2 uh, with KD as a close three. reason why I'm going to go Zion at the uh, at two is because Zion coming out had more hype than any any player coming in to the season last year. Not only was he able – to keep that hype going throughout the year. He was also able to open people's eyes to a lot of stuff that they didn't know he could do. We knew Zion was a phenomenal athlete. We knew he could jump. We knew he could block. But there were a lot of things that I saw out of him that were just like, man, like, he's not athletic. He's not just athletic. He's a good basketball player. His uh his attention to detail was what stood out to me a lot. Like, he always knew when to make the right play. Uh, a lot of times throughout throughout seasons, you would see uh, freshman big men get in foul trouble. Like, it would happen a lot. That didn't happen with Zion this year. Not only that, Zion wasn't a guy that just, like, shot away from stuff. He, he challenged shots. He uh, played the passing lanes well. He went for on-ball steals a lot. There were a lot of things that – you can't really put on paper that he did that was just like, man. And, I mean, <laughs> let's just call it what it is. Duke had one of the best recruiting classes that they've had in a long time. And his absence in the games that he missed was noticeable. <laughs> like, you saw night in, night out, like, goodness, are they really missing Zion this much? Like, it's crazy. And then when he came back, it's like, boom like I never left like he just picked it back up so I'm gonna go with him just for the simple fact that I felt like he was a little more well-rounded within his game in college obviously KD to me was more of an offensive talent than Zion was but Zion did everything else better than KD I'll even uh give him the edge defensively because he was a defensive menace even outside of um blocking shots help defense and things of that nature his timing was impeccable when it came to stealing the ball and passing lanes and that's what led to a lot of his highlight dunks so i'm gonna go 81 uh zion to kd very 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 close three so that i can't i can't argue with that zion the pressure on zion was like equal to if lebron would have had to go to college agreed like all that hype 
Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I can't I can't argue with that. I agree a hundred percent. So uh but John, before you get out of here, man, let's touch on a couple of NBA topics. Let's talk let's talk playoffs a little bit, man. Um there were a couple of game one upsets that we saw over the weekend and uh, it's a little surprising because you don't see that happen too often. Like it happens, but mm-hmm. I don't think that you have as many upsets on the regular in game one as you did this past weekend. It really showed like, man, these teams is really coming to play. Like that home court advantage, it's not really mattering much right now. <laughs> it's like the teams that are on the road are like, we don't care. We're coming out here to steal game one. <laughs> And now we're going to have home court advantage. So I want to ask you guys, out of the teams that were able to steal game one, which one do you think has the most potential to be the most meaningful? Meaning, now that they've stole game one from those teams, how? which one of those do you see as being, uh, I guess, troublesome for the team that lost? Sam, we'll start off with you. Um, I'm going to have to go with uh, the Nets. And Philly, um, that Brooklyn winning game one, um, we already knew that that's a young, hungry ball club. And the fact that they were able to steal game one on the road, I feel like just maybe just validated the fact that they felt like they really belong here. And now you now Philly really dealing with a monster, I feel like. I feel like them losing that game one created a monster. Yeah, I, I and, agree with Sam 100%. <laughs> They at halftime right now is 65-64. So they looking to get game two too. Philly in trouble. I don't know. I'm not saying they're gonna lose, but like I said, they've created a monster. Them guys are extra hungry now. And co-signing what Sam said, like where they're young, new coach, coach I think he got coach of the year, right? Did he get coach of the year or coach the all-star game, one or the other. Um just those dudes are hungry, man. Those dudes of guys that have been wrote, written off their whole career, they Oh, this guy's a bust. This guy can't do this. I mean, those guys, those guys have came in this year and proved night in, night out that they're legitimate. I mean, D'Angelo Russell, everybody was like, oh, no, nah, he, he's so much hype at Ohio State. He gets to L.A. Uh, nah, he's not. He, we got to get him out of here. We're trading to get picks. He gets to Brooklyn year four of his career. This this man is a dog. Most yeah. Days, probably most improved player. I don't know if it's came out yet, but he's probably going to get that, right? Yeah, he. I, I think, think he's the he's the front runner for that most definitely. Um, uh, to piggyback off that man, yeah, uh, D'Angelo Russell has really shown that. Um, uh, he's really he's as good as uh people expected him to be coming out, and I think that I've Spencer been saying this, now too. Oh man, I'm a big Spencer Dinwiddie fan. I've been a fan of his for some years now, and. Uh, the biggest thing with D'Angelo Russell is a lot of people are like, the Lakers are stupid for trading them. I can't believe they traded them. But I tell people this. I don't think that the Lakers are dumb for trading him. I think that what that did was created a new monster in D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. It made him feel as if, okay, I got a little something to prove now. When he was in L.A., it was more of a uh, – he was still a young guy. He was around some guys that, you know – weren't necessarily all about winning and going to LA's big shoes to fill play uh what one year with Kobe I believe it was and it just uh it, it didn't seem like the Lakers were rolling out the red carpet for him to be that guy so now that he went to Brooklyn it's like okay I got a breath of fresh air now 
Um, I don't have the the pressure on my back for people to feel like, oh, I can't have a bad night tonight. Anytime I have a bad night, they're pointing at. And the dude worked. I mean, yeah. I don't think in L.A. he was doing anything similar to what he's doing now. I mean, he, he had some of it, but I think the dude got in the gym, grinded. Like you said, he got older, he matured, grew up, found out what was important, what wasn't, and – the dude just just flourished. I mean, like you said, it might have been a blessing in disguise that it didn't work out work out in L.A. because the man got a fresh shot, a clean slate, in a place with no pressure too. Yep. That was the key, mm-hmm. where he could just go and work on his game and be under the radar again and just get ready. Exactly. But one thing I do want to, you know, I'm not big on cutting the Lakers some slack, but one thing I do got to say is the Lakers ain't really trade D'Angelo Russell because he wasn't working out on the floor. It was it was internal. Yeah, that that recording that video with Nick Young and guys just really not being comfortable around him anymore was the ultimately why the Lakers ended up having to trade him. I mean, it might have had something to do with them maybe feeling like okay, we could get a better guy in the draft, so that maybe validated their decision. But I feel like it was mainly due to him doing that that snitching shit in the locker room. That was that was out of pocket. Most definitely, most definitely. So I guess uh, to to answer the question, just like you guys did, I'll say uh, the Sixers also are in the most trouble. You look at the other teams that lost at home. Toronto, I'm not necessarily worried about. I think that they'll bounce back. Uh, Denver, Denver, that was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, as good as Denver had played at home all year, they lost, turned around, lost to the Spurs, but We've got to take into account that the Spurs got the gold on the sideline. Yeah, that's Popovich. That's pop. So you know that's your, you that bet- Spurs series automatically go to six. I feel like exactly. You got to know that regardless of what happened in the regular season, he's pinpointing what you guys did wrong at home. So he's like, okay, this is what we got to do to take advantage of it. So I think right. that they're into a dog fight there, regardless. But that Philly series, man, Philly's in trouble. Um, not only because they're going up against a hungry team, Philly's in trouble because they got one of the best games that they didn't have all year out of Jimmy Butler, and it wasn't enough. I don't know. I mean, I do know what Philly needs down there. They desperately need shooting. But and a bench. They they, they, that, de- definitely that. But alongside that, They've got to find a way to make Ben Simmons even more effective than he is because this is – I'm going to give this series some time, but if it continues to play out the way that it do, like it is as of right now, if it continues to play out this way, this will be year two with teams being able to neutralize one of your best players effortless, effortlessly like they're not having a bad matchup for him yeah a lot of guys they could throw at him exactly they've got to find another way to make him more effective and i know that it's not necessarily people are like oh he's not gonna get no jumper overnight it's gonna take a long time he's got to figure out something to combat the fact that he can't shoot it's on coaching bro you got you got to find a way to get ben simmons on the block it's it's not that difficult. I feel like they're doing more of uh they don't necessarily know how to work with Ben Simmons off the ball. Is what it's seeming what like you, to me. You gotta, You've got to you Yeah, it, I go ahead. It's got to be like they got to change to like some type of like equal opportunity offense or something. I I don't know or play him in the four, at the four when you come up against these type of teams that can really throw a bunch of 
they got a bunch of long guys because, I mean, really, they can even leave D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie on him because, I mean, they 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, so they really long enough to guard him considering he can't shoot and he's not going to put you in the post. They got uh, – Brooklyn just got a lot of people that can guard Ben Simmons. That's true. That's that's definitely true. Um, What I would like to see Philly do is get him into some situations where you're running some some off-ball screens – excuse me, for Ben Simmons to put him in situations to where he has a favorable matchup. Like you said, Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell, yeah, they can guard him uh, when he when he's on ball facing up, but I would like to see them get – I would like to see Philly get him in some situations to where um, he's coming off some screens, baseline or something, where they have no choice but to switch it and let him seal off one of them small guards in the post. And let him work from there because Ben Simmons has shown that he's got a decent post game. Like he's he's he can actually work in the post. But I think a lot of that is going into previous issues that they had earlier this year. If people don't really realize they were there was an issue with Joel Embiid this year, and he was upset that Philly was trying to change his role a little bit and make him more of a shooter and pull him off the block. So I think a lot of that is factoring into the way that they're using Ben Simmons as well. Brett Brown is a lazy-ass coach, man. Because you're not going to sit here and tell me that Ben Simmons is going to be the only point guard in the league that can't shoot, that can't be successful in the playoffs. Like, come on now. Mm-hmm. He's 6'11". You got to find a way to get him, get him going. Like, you, you can't just be a coach that's just going to sit over there and roll the ball out and just hope shit happens. It's not going to happen in the playoffs. You have to coach. You know, this is about to be two years in a row. We we sitting here asking Brett Brown to make adjustments that seem easy. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. But uh, let's let's jump to another team, man. Um, the Rockets team we just talked about, team that we just talked about in uh, reference to John. The Rockets displayed a rare defensive intensity, something that we have not seen them do all year. I want to ask you guys, do you guys think that this is a sign of things to come or do you think that it's just an outlier? John, we'll start this one with you. Do you think that the Rockets are capable of stringing along multiple defensive performances like they had uh, was the other night against the Jazz? I believe that they think they caused 18 turnovers, I want to say. I think That's, so. Um, like you said, you don't usually think of Houston and defense. You think of score out scoring people, but I think they've got a few like really good defenders. I don't think you're going to find a better defender slash energy guy slash tough guy than PJ Tucker in the league. I think he really sets the tone for them. Um, Chris Paul, not a bad defender. Harden gets, he gets, everybody gets on him for being lazy sometimes, but when he wants to defend and really tries, I mean, I, I, I don't know his steal numbers right off the top of my head, but I'm sure he ranks up near the top in steals. Um, yeah, he actually does. Yeah, if they can defend even average, as long as they don't, they're not just like a liability on defense. I see, I can see him competing with anybody because they're gonna score points. You're not stopping Harden, Chris Paul in the pick and roll. You can contain that for a little bit, but you, I mean, ultimately they're gonna score points and be successful. Their problem is, are they gonna be able to get stops and? I think they have a few guys, even Capella defensively. He's long, athletic. He's probably one of the better shot blockers in the league. Um, if they People. can just maintain that, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to lock down every night and have 20 steals like they did, but if they can maintain that, I think they got a good shot, a good shot against anybody. I agree. Yeah, that's, a, 
that's a hungry team too. I think that they strongly believe if Chris Paul wasn't hurt that they beat the Warriors in game seven. Mm-hmm. I think they're absolutely wrong. But. <laughs> <laughs> but what you're saying though is right because yeah. I think I think some teams don't have this and that's what I admire about Houston and that's why I like their chances is they got that dog mentality. I mean, even you hear Dan Tony talking about it. He said, we're not scared of anybody. We'll beat anybody. You hear Chris Paul talking about it. He said, nobody beating us in a seven-game series. Harden, P.J. Tucker. When you got guys and that's your mindset going in, like, bro, I want to go to war with somebody I know going to be out there having my back, and we're going to be out here as dogs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And They're definitely lick, licking their chops. Like, they're, they out they here, they're out here talking shit to the Warriors, to everybody. They're like, look, y'all beat us last year. Chris Paul got hurt, but. We're here. We ain't going nowhere. We go. We gonna see who got who has what. And I, I mean, I admire that mentality. You don't see that a lot. You know, everybody's all politically correct. Oh, that's a good team, man. You know, it's gonna be a yeah. tough battle. They're like, look, we're here, and we are gonna see who has what. Yeah, I, I like it too. It, it kind of reminds you of the '90s a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing, I think people are overlooking the acquisitions of Austin Rivers and Kenneth Fareed, that those were big pickups for the Rockets. I think Fareed was bigger than Austin Rivers because um, that's just another guy that's going to rebound and give you a bunch of energy a dog. and catch lobs, and he's a dog, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they lost Trevor Ariza, but I think they are just as good or maybe even a tad bit better defensively. Um, that I feel like we're, it's pretty safe that we can look ahead to that second round matchup with the Warriors and Rockets. I think it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I uh, I want to piggyback off of what both of you guys said. Um, I think that this will be a sign of things to come. Like John said, I don't necessarily think that it'll be as effective last night or be a, as effective in the future as it was last night. They'll have their games where we'll see them revert a little bit, but I think when it's time, when they need to get those stops, they will. And just like Sam said, a lot of people are missing the acquisitions that they added. To me, Sam named Kennifer Reed and Austin Rivers as great pickups, which they are. But to me, the one that stood out more than anything was Iman Shumpert. Bro, I forgot they had Shump. That was huge for them, for the simple fact that Shump was down in Sacramento. And he, it, what he was doing in Sacramento, obviously a lot of people didn't see it because Sacramento is not on TV. All hooping. He was down there balling, and he had those young guys with a completely different mentality. Now, we have to take into account that this isn't just an ordinary defender. This is Iman Shumpert, who has played alongside a LeBron James and has won an NBA title. So he knows what it takes to get there and to be successful and get over that hump. He's a guy that I feel like is big for them moving forward, especially if they see the Warriors, because this is a guy who saw the war. He's seen that Warriors team. It's not too many guys on that team that are like, you know what? We lined up against that Warrior team and we were successful. We won. Nobody else on that team can say, you know what? Yeah, we played Golden State. This is this is what we did. This is why we beat them. Nobody can say that because nobody else on that roster has beat them in a series. So Shumpert not only is big from a, a, a defensive standpoint, but from a mental standpoint as well. Now, one of the biggest stats uh, that stood out to me was 
um, the defensive rating that the Rockets had when they added Shumpert. Without Shumpert, uh, their defensive rating was uh, 117.8. With him, it was 97.2. So you're looking at a 20-point jump when he's on the court as opposed to when he's not. He's that effective defensively as far as being able to guard multiple positions and bringing that energy. Like uh, John said, you got a guy like P.J. Tucker who was arguably one of the toughest defenders, one of the toughest 3 and D guys in the league. And once he comes off the court, you have a guy like Shumpert checking in behind him, bringing that endless defensive energy. It's hard on, on teams with guards because it's like, dang, I, P.J. Tucker's gone, so I can relax a little bit. I can get comfortable. I can get to my spots and do what I need to do. But it's not that easy with a guy like Shumpert because he's a guy that prides himself defensively as well. So, like uh, like both of you guys said, it's 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 definitely the future is definitely bright. They looked at uh, losing Trevor Ariza like, oh, that hurts a little bit. But I mean, like I said, you throw a guy like Shump in there who's younger already, and then like he's he he's got that chip on his shoulder that you need defensively. He's got that. I don't care who's lined up against you. You're not just going to go out here and get no easy buckets on my head. I'm going to make it as tough as possible. So and I'm going to give you the X factor on the Rockets. Inside information, X factor. If Eric Gordon is making shots, I don't think they get beat. Whew, that's that, gives, a- that gives them a third scoring option because you know Harden's going to get his 30. Chris Paul's going to get 20 and, 20 and 8, 20 and 10. If Eric Gordon is hitting threes, Consistently, I don't think they get beat. I I, I can't dispute that at all. I agree a hundred percent. And well, I, I ain't gonna say they can't be beat, but um, that does make them much more dangerous. A way tougher mm. team, yeah, way tougher team. I think that in the Warriors series, it's gonna come down to Steph needs to have a big series, and. I think Boogie. I think Boogie. Mm-hmm, that's a big. That's a and that's a different element that they didn't have to worry about last year. Yeah. Boogie is going to be huge in that series when the game gets close and down the stretch when it's real physical. Now the Warriors don't have to go to KD in the post. Now they can go to Boogie in the mm. post, and that's also a guy that can help get Click Capella and Fareed and those boys in foul trouble. And they don't have a lot of a lot of big fellas that they could throw in. So Boogie. Boogie's gonna have to really be ready to so, in that rock. So what I what I would say with that is, like you said, Boogie is gonna be the X factor because if he posts Capella and those guys, because Rockets tend to switch one through five and they get mismatches and stuff like that, how that how that works. But then you got the other side of it. How does cousin, yeah, how does cousin, how does Cousins hold up? Because the Rockets are gonna yeah, run that pick and roll. It doesn't, gonna, it doesn't matter who's on the court. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna pick and roll Boogie to death. So if he holds I up think- defensively, advantage Warriors. But then you got Harden in ISO situations. Chris Paul doesn't do as much ISO, but Harden in ISO situations is Harden in that ISO offense going to be as efficient as the Warriors offense, where they seem like they get about an easy shot every other time down the court. So can the isolation efficiency match up with the ball movement and the? the non-one-on-one ISO stuff that the Warriors run as efficient as they are. I mean, they're one of the most efficient teams ever. Can those two different styles, how is that going to 
contrast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's going it's going to be real interesting to see how that plays out. Boogie, I think Boogie got to put a, a chip on his shoulder because a lot of teams don't want to go max on him because they don't believe in him defensively. So I think it's time for him to to go out and show that he can at least be a a, a C minus to C defender on the perimeter, at least get a couple stops out there. Um, but if not, then yeah, he's not going to be on the floor all that mm-hmm. often. It's going it's going to probably be Draymond playing mm-hmm. the five again. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, those are both great points. Um, looking forward, that's definitely I I believe that that's going to be the game of the year or the series of the year, mostly because of what last year's series was. I think this year's an even better series mm-hmm. because of that boogie element. Like both of you guys said, Boogie brings something to the table that, that's a lot different. Like he's a guy that not only is he able to uh, put Capella in a post and uh, put some put some put some body on him. Like Boogie's got he's got some uh he's got something back there. He's got some junk in his trunk. So it's not like Capella is just a guy that's that, yeah. that you can just put one on one on Boogie. I feel like at times you're and gonna now- have to help, which is gonna do what? Leave shooters now, everywhere. Exactly, and Capella ain't gonna be able to slide over all the time and make plays on the help defense because you could just drop it off the boogie or lob it up to him. Now you know he got somebody to really worry about. But like John said, it really is gonna come down to how well Boogie gonna be able to guard that pick and roll. Because if he ain't if he's struggling guard the pick and roll, there's no way he's gonna be able to play a lot of minutes against the Rockets. That's a fact, man. That's a. Uh... That's a uh, that's a beautiful take from both of you guys. I I'm excited to see how that goes in the future. But uh, John, man, we appreciate you for joining us, dog. Don't uh, this is what I want to say before you get out of here. Don't get Hollywood on us when you get <laughs> on to when you get on the NBA <laughs> roster and whatnot. When we hit you like, bro, what's up? We try and get you on another episode. We don't want to hear no. Bro, it's busy. I got back to backs this week. I don't want to hear none of that, dog. I wanna, Look, man, you know you what? Heard when it, I got when I got, got some free recorded. time, I'm gonna get on there. You got it recorded. I'm gonna be back on the pick and roll. I ain't never done a podcast before, but you got to understand hoops and sports. That's what I do. I mean, I I live it. I breathe it. That's, that's mainly all I care about besides family and God. You know what I'm saying? This this is this is what I do. So I'm gonna be back. And we're gonna debate sports. We're gonna have same thing again, man. Nah, this has been this has been a blast. We appreciate it, man. We really appreciate it, dog. And hey, and uh before you go, ain't you you played in the TBT? Yeah, right? yeah. So if I if I make an NBA roster, um, which I'm hoping, uh I can't play, but if I don't, I will be playing. So right now I'm in the tournament until otherwise. Okay, well, go ahead, and, go ahead and plug y'all so so you can get y'all's votes. Okay, yeah, man, we the uh, shoot, what's our team? The Wildcats. I think we're the West Virginia Wildcats, the basketball tournament Wildcats. Uh, we're playing in the Columbus region, uh, so it it should be dope. We we got uh, so far we got me, Perrier, Perrier Henry, um, Stevie Browning, Justin Johnson who played at Western Kentucky, um, big dude, uh, myself or I. And then we got um, James Kelly who played at Marshall, and we're looking at a couple other free agents right now. So it should be dope, man. It'll be fun, you know, playing for two million. Only one team wins it all, but you know, the goal is to go out there, and have fun. You playing on TV, and at the end of the day, our, we're trying to win it. 
Yeah, man. So yeah. make sure uh, y'all go out and vote. You have to vote. We got to vote for this team. Uh, just go to the basketball tournament. That's TBT, the basketball tournament.com and find a West Virginia Wildcats. Yeah. John, shoot us a um, shoot us a link and we'll post it on our yeah. page and post it in the stats stuff. Okay, definitely. I'll definitely get, you, get it to you. Yeah, man. Make sure y'all go out and vote. And John, I want to wish you ultimate ultimate success moving forward. I want to give you well wishes and I pray that whatever is in the cards for you that it all unfolds and I don't see nothing but greatness coming from you dog just because of the way you carry yourself and everything that you stand for so I'm excited to see what the future holds. Hopefully it's the NBA if it's not. Hey, we know we're we going to get it overseas. Either way we get, we, we get, we get into it. So For sure man. No, I appreciate y'all having me home man. No doubt, man. We're looking forward to the next time we can talk to you. We can get out here real quick and pay some bills. That's John Elmore, man. If you don't know the name, you will. So, uh, no doubt, man. We're going to get out of here real quick, pay some bills. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we just had John Elmore on with us talking college basketball and NBA We'll keep that same uh, same same train rolling. Let's talk some more NBA. Um, we've been talking playoffs, and we've talked about you know some some standout performances that we've seen from underdog teams. But let's talk about a particular player who uh, I don't I don't even know how to categorize this man. But uh, let's just say he's been less than stellar in the playoffs. And it's time to ask the question, man. Is Cal Lowry overrated? Is he overrated? Sam, what what do you think about that? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that I've been felt like he's been overrated. Um, I actually felt been feeling this way for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's overrated. I'm not saying he's trash or nothing like that. I just think that. Some people had him as pegged as like a top ten point guard. I, I don't think he's that type of guy. I think he's a he's a pretty good he's a pretty good basketball player. But he's not. I think his best years are gone. Um. So yeah, I think he's still being a little overrated. I can agree a hundred percent. Um, I've never been a Kyle Lowry fan, and if anybody thinks otherwise, if they believe that Kyle Lowry isn't overrated or they believe that he's underrated. Look no further than his free agency year, man. <laughs> he talked all that. Yeah, I'm trying to go back to Philly. I want to go back to Philly. Or I want to do this. I want to do that. This man had zero offers. Zero. Like nobody offered him in the offseason. When he became a free agent, uh, he decided to tell Toronto, yeah, I want to uh, weigh my options. I want to see what I got out there for me. There weren't any options. There were no options for him out there. That's why he ended up coming back to Toronto. So that, to me, that that solidified to me that obviously this isn't just how I'm feeling. It's it's the norm. People are feeling this way about him now. Like Sam said, I don't want to make it seem like we bashing Kyle Lowry because he's far from a bum. He has his moments to where he shows like, yeah, he can really ball. He can really hoop. But then he has moments like he had last game. He didn't even score, did he? No, zero. Yeah, he scored zero points. That's unacceptable from a starting <laughs> point guard that's 
uh, the second scoring option on your ball club. And let's go ahead and get this out there right now. Um, a lot of pressure on Kyle Lowry um, because I do – I am i don't know this for sure. It's not like I got sources or nothing like that. But I strongly – I feel like KD – I mean, Kawhi was, is considering staying in Toronto. Um, but if his point guard going to be giving him zero in the playoffs, I think that you can go ahead and kiss that goodbye. I think I, – because I think – him staying in Toronto is going to be – I mean, it's going to be about equal to him going to the Clippers. I, I think the roster will be about the same. But Kyle Lowry, go ahead. Kyle Lowry got a ball if he if he going to want Kawhi Leonard to stay or if the town of Toronto think that Kawhi is going to stay, they better hope that Kyle Lowry get his shit together. <laughs> That's a fact. Um, that The thing with that is I – I felt as if throughout this year, like they were playing so well that uh, Kawhi would probably stay. But like you said, the more I'm starting to watch them, the more I'm like, oh no. Reason being is because, excuse me, I don't see this roster getting much better than it is now, even if Kawhi does resign. They went out, they got Mark Gasol. That should be huge for them. That should have been what it took to take them over the top, which I felt like it could have been if Kyle Lowry would have played up to what he was supposed to do. Zero points is unacceptable. And if you're Kawhi, you're looking at that like, damn, like he really just had zero? You know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's We're going to see what he do next game. If this becomes a trend to where Kyle Lowry, I'm not saying he's going to score zero points every time, but if Kyle Lowry is ineffective, as far as the game is concerned, if he's not out here uh, basically helping Kawhi carry the team, yeah, I think all signs point to Kawhi leaving. And we've already seen that Kawhi wants to go to L.A., whether it be the Clippers or the Lakers. I see whether they come out of this series or not on top, if they win, I don't necessarily think that that even – bodes well for them unless they beat this team in I'll say five or six games if they go full seven games with this team and it's tough on them then that's basically leading them into the next round for an even tougher matchup and let's just call it what it is man uh Kyle Lowry gonna have some matchups on his hands (laughs) and we're going we really going to see what he's about. This isn't a type of team where this isn't what uh Kawhi is accustomed to. Let's let's be honest, his whole career he's gotten the, he had the luxury of playing with a guy like Tony Parker who no matter how old Tony Parker was <laughs> and no matter how much he struggled during a regular season, you better believe come playoff time you was going to get what you needed to get out of Tony Parker as well as the other guys, Patty Mills, like the guys that he really uh that were his point guards. They gave him what he needed in order for them to be successful. So he's in unfamiliar territory now. And I don't know, man. I just, I don't think that this is necessarily like a a one-time event. I think that we'll see more struggles to come out of Kyle Lowry. And I think for that reason, Kawhi will no longer be in Toronto. This will be a rent, a rent, a rent a year for them. And, 
I'd be kind of sad too because I kind of wanted him to stay in Toronto. I liked him there, but I wouldn't blame him one bit if he sees the struggles of Kyle Lowry and like, nah, I'm not signing long term for this. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. So, um, we talk struggles. Let's talk. Uh, let's let's talk achievements. <laughs> I mean, it's not really. It's not crazy when you think about it but when you really look at it statistically it's like my goodness Steph Curry is now the all-time leader in playoff three-pointers now to the blind eye it's like all right like I expected that this like that would mean it is what it is but the most impressive part of that is that he just passed Ray Allen Ray Allen had 385 threes. In order for him to get that 185 threes, he had to play in 171 games. Steph hasn't even played in 100 games yet (laughs) in the playoffs. He's just scratching 90. He's, what, 91 games in, and he has 386 threes. I mean, <laughs> that's insane. Like, how crazy is that? I know you as a Steph fan, you just look at that like, I mean, shit. Like, I know if anybody knows Steph's capabilities and what, uh, how great of a shooter is, it's you. If anybody knows that, it's you. But I got to imagine that even this shocked you. Like, my gosh. Yeah, it, it just put it in – it just puts it in perspective for me. It doesn't really shock me. It just reminds me of just like how crazy the shit that he doing is and how people just really take him for granted. Like, it's kind of weird, but anyway, I ain't gonna get into that. Um, but 91 games to hit 386 threes. That is crazy. I mean, but this is a guy who is he's going to shatter every three-point record. Nobody has a shot at any three-point record except for maybe career percentage, maybe, which is Steve Kerr. He's he at 45% right now, Steph at 43.6 for his career. So he might not get to that. And then um, the game records, like in one game, like Clay, like Clay got the most threes in the game right now at 14. I mean – those type of records might be out there that people could get. But as far as career records or season records, you can book it. Any three-point record is going to have Mr. Curry's name beside it. I I just – I think to me <laughs> the craziest thing is that we uh, we made that big-ass deal that was like Steph couldn't even see all these years. And this nigga that went out and got some contacts now. The, the basket going to look like an ocean to him. And I'd be damned if it didn't. Right. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, a part of me is like, damn, he just had 38, and that shit was crazy. But a part of me is like, uh, I think he's about to have one of them playoffs to where it's like, he going to average something stupid, like 30 points, like he's going to average 30 some points per game throughout the entire playoffs. And that wouldn't surprise me not one bit. And it's just insane to think that the greatest shooter that we've ever seen is just now for the first time getting clear vision. Like he couldn't really see before. 
He said this shit was blurry. He, he, no exaggeration. He said when I put these in, he said I just everything opened up. Like I can really see now. So it's like I don't know, man. It, it's hard for me to imagine that this is this isn't a sign of things to come. I mean, this is a guy who has shot 40% every single year that he's been in the NBA from three. First time it's ever been done for um, 10 years in a row or 10 years. Yeah, 10 years in a row shooting 40% from three. First time ever. That's just insane. Somebody uh, somebody recently, I can't remember who it was, made a statement that said uh, Steph Curry is the most underrated superstar. And for a second, I thought about it, and I'm like, mm, I don't necessarily know. I might go in a different direction as far as, like, a Kawhi or something like that. But the more I started to think about it, the more I'm like, you know what? That might be factual. Just for the simple fact that I don't think people really understand how much more Steph affects the game outside of just his three-point shooting. Like, for instance, game one of this playoff series, this man had 15 rebounds. 15! 15 rebounds, a career high. And this wasn't just an ordinary game. This is a playoff game. Like, that's not easy to do, especially for a guy like him who's not even known for rebounding. He affects the game in multiple ways. Like, any knock that you have on Steph Curry, it's like he comes out and shows you, like, well, I can do that. Like, people knocked him defensively for years, not knowing that he was out here leading the league in steals. Right. Like, he's really – he's a, a much better defender than he gets credit for. As we've seen, he can rebound the ball effectively. I mean, he just – Steph is underrated in the aspect of – what else he brings to the table, of how dangerous he is. You've said this multiple times. Steph Curry is the most dangerous person in the NBA without the basketball. Period. Simple as and, that. And if you you got to really know basketball to really sit and understand, like, the, the way he moves without the ball and, like, to know that he's making the right cuts off of these picks and stuff, you have to really know basketball. But if you do – and you watch Steph play, there, there's there's nobody that moves without the ball like him. It's beauty. Curry. It's beauty. If you know the game of basketball, watching Steph Curry without the basketball is like watching art. Like, it's like goodness. Because, I mean, to those who don't know basketball, excuse me, or don't necessarily study basketball as much as uh, basketball – Excuse me, basketball phenom. I guess phenoms do. I mean, just face it, it. It's just certain things that if you don't play basketball at a certain level, it's just certain you, things that you're not going to. You exactly. You won't understand. But we'll put it as simple as this: a guy that shoots as good as Steph Curry. Anybody has to wonder if you don't know basketball, you've had to have the thought: How is he always open? How does he continue to get open? Why is he getting these shots off? Why is he able to get the ball where he's comfortable? Why is he able to not have nobody in his face when he's shooting the ball? Why are people just, like, running out at him? It's because of his IQ, and like Sam said, the way that he reads screens, he knows exactly what is going, what play to make off of the way that you guard him. 
And you, it's a chess game. Exactly. And the thing that makes it even more dangerous is that he's getting year after year after year of the same people guarding him. So he's starting to understand. This is one thing that Kobe Bryant was phenomenal at. He knew that coming into the game, okay, such and such is going to guard me today. This is how he's going to guard me. This is what he likes to do. He likes to run me off of this spot. He likes to beat me to this spot. He likes to play extra physical. Steph Curry is now getting to the point where he knows everybody that's going to guard him. So moving forward, it's almost like, okay, if they throw Pat Beverly on me tonight, I can pretty much count on him being super physical and him trying to button me off certain things. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the screens like this. When I catch and shoot, I'm going to do it like this. I've got to protect the ball a little more this way. I can't do this. I can't do that. He's learning. Not only has Steph Curry, I feel like, mastered the game of reading screens, he's now starting to master his opponents as far as what they enjoy doing or how they defend him. And that's a scary thought moving forward, man. That's not something that as a defender I want to even think about. I'm not going to think like, Oh shit! But he knows yeah. what I'm about to do defensively. When you're guarding a guy like that, you can't cheat. Anything that you do to cheat is gonna get you beat every time. So you got to play him sound, and then even when you're doing that, you still you gotta like hope. Probably you gotta hope. Beat. Yeah, <laughs> it's just when you when you're great at moving without the basketball, which we kind of touched on with Russ last week with him not having the ability to do so, mm-hmm. but him still being able to dominate because he's so athletic. But like we, like I said, when you just watch the Steph coming off those – coming off screens or just moving without the ball, period, as soon as he gets rid of it, he's moving, relocating. He's never standing in the same spot. So you have, you just – you got to play him sound. And if you don't, he's going to be getting wide open screens in the corner because you didn't, you didn't cheat it over the screen and he faded right to the corner wide open. Boom, layup. Fat. That's – Go ahead. Before we hop off of him, um, seven years in a row, he didn't, well, he didn't hit two hundred threes every year since two thousand twelve. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's crazy! But this year he hit three hundred and fifty, and he missed thirteen games. That is crazy. That's just crazy to think. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like. It's, He's going to shatter everything. Yeah, bro. like it's amazing to witness, but at the same time, it's like unbelievable. Like we are really witnessing something that's probably never going to happen again within our lifetime. Like if it happens, we're probably going to be dead and gone. Niggas going like, to be looking, shattering Steph Curry's record when Steph not even alive no more. How is your career low? Three-point percentage, 41%. And you a guy that's going to average 26. Like, I'm sure there's guys out there that have shot high percentage, high percentages for their career, and their career low wasn't lower than 41 or something like that. But they wasn't averaging 25 for their career. Yeah, that's just – that's insane, man. That's – I don't know, man. Shouts to Steph, the greatest shooter we've ever seen. And I, I hope that we continue to see this because I love watching that man play and not even just for his shooting ability, for everything that we just mentioned, his, his, uh, his knack that he has without the ball. I love, I love every bit of it, but um, 
let's talk about something that's not as uh, favorable to me. Something that I'm not necessarily happy to talk about. My Lakers have, uh, we've had some, some changes within our staff, man. Magic Johnson stepped down. Luke Walton is no longer uh, coaching. They parted ways. They uh, said it was a mutual thing where they parted ways. And now Luke Walton is down in Sacramento. He's uh, about to come to, become the head coach of the Kings. So I just, the biggest question that everybody's asking is, what does this mean now? And why did Magic step down? Like, what is really going on? Now, I have my take on it initially, and I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I I didn't understand. I was baffled by why Magic did. And I talked to a few Laker fans. Excuse me. I talked to a few Laker fans about why Magic stepped down. And it seemed to all be the same, uh, the same answer. And I didn't really think about it until afterwards. I really sat down and I'm like, they might be right. A lot of people are believing that it has to do with LeBron and not necessarily any type of uh, ill feelings that LeBron and Magic have toward each other. It's more of the middle party, such as like a genie bus or something like that. A lot of people are bringing up um, this upcoming offseason and LeBron's – the control that LeBron has on who – the Lakers are going to pursue and what players the Lakers are going to give up. A lot of people are saying magic decided to step down because he feels like LeBron's uh, LeBron's word holds more weight than his, such as this off season. Obviously there are guys that LeBron wants to go after LeBron's already started to distance himself from teammates. We've talked about that multiple times as far as, uh, him distancing himself on the bench, him not listening to the coach, him not being in a huddle, him turning his back to the huddle, all of that type of stuff is already showing us that LeBron's already out on this team. He doesn't feel like anything on this team is necessarily uh, we need, we have to keep it. There's nothing about this roster that we have to keep. And I think Magic from the other perspective is like, no, we, we've got some pieces on this team that we need to hold on to. We don't necessarily need to throw everything at these guys in order to pull in like an Anthony Davis or something like that. There's some guys that we need to hold on to if we want our future to be bright. And a lot of people are saying that Jeannie Buss is more like, you know what, Magic, I understand what you're saying, but we brought LeBron here for four years, so we can't let stuff go bad in year one. If he steps up and says this is what he wants to do, who are we to say, you know what, nah, we're not going to do that then we automatically look like mm, we don't really care that he's here. So I understand that from that perspective. I think that that's probably the most logical reason <laughs> as for Magic Johnson stepping down. Um, I believe that when LeBron came to L.A., there was some negotiation to where LeBron, once he retired, he would have some type of uh, control over the organization. Because it's already been, there's no secret that people have asked LeBron, after you retire, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a coach? What are you going to do? Are you going to step away from the game? LeBron has been adamant about letting people know that he wants to be in a front office. I want to be the GM or I want to own a team. Like LeBron has, he hasn't wavered from that at all. So I believe that the Lakers have something, you know, within his contract to where he's, he's going to be able to do that. 
And I think LeBron's already starting to get into that mode as a player. He's starting to feel like, you know what? I want to start building the team now so that when I get into the front office, it won't be as difficult for me then. And I, I've already I've said this multiple times. I don't think LeBron's going to be around for much longer. I think that LeBron can play for a while, but I don't think LeBron wants to. I don't think LeBron loves playing the game quite as much as uh, he did at one point in time. I think now it's more like he's itching to do something different when it comes to the game. Like he's itching to get into that front office. He's itching to, to see just how great he can be when it comes to assembling a team, because I mean, let's just be honest. That's basically what he's done majority of his career without necessarily coming out and doing it. But excuse me. I think that's what LeBron's doing at this point. I think he's trying to get guys to come to LA and buy into coming to LA, such as like an Anthony Davis, such as a Kawhi, so that, it'll make it easier for him to transition into doing that. I think that, like I said, I, I give LeBron two, three years max still continuing to play, and then he's going to retire. I don't believe he'll sign another deal after this Laker deal was done, and I'm not even necessarily sure that he can, that he finishes out the Laker deal. So that's my take on it. What's, what's your take on all of this stuff that's going on with L.A.? I think that that – franchise is in disarray. Um, somebody need to take control over there because, I mean, for whatever reason, that magic step down, um, it just doesn't look good at all, especially to free agents, I would imagine. Uh, magic didn't even tell Jeannie that he was stepping down. He just did it. <laughs> he announced it to the media before he even told her. Yeah, like Apparently, she was on her way to the last game of the season, and she just turned her car around and went home because she had no idea. She knew she was going to get questioned about it. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it just was weird and out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I feel like everything you said about LeBron made a lot of sense. But as far as magic goes, I, I don't know how to make sense of that for real. Or what of magic stepping down? I just don't understand it. I mean, I feel I, I'm not gonna sit here and question him and say that he he lied about not being happy, but I feel like he just said that just because that's something that can't nobody question. See, and that's the thing. I heard I uh I saw two different responses from him. I saw the first response to where he said, you know, I just want to go back to being happy. I just want to start having fun again, and I can't have that with the Lakers. I saw that, and then I saw another statement from Magic that said. He felt disrespected, but he didn't uh, He didn't come out and say why. And that's what led me to believe that, that LeBron's uh, – the statement that a lot of people are saying about LeBron is true. The fact that LeBron has more say-so than him when it comes to how we're going to attack the offseason. And I feel yeah. like with him coming out and making that statement, what else would you feel disrespected about? I can't think of anything – like we, there hasn't been any issues throughout the year where people have been like, you know, Magic and the Lakers aren't really seeing eye to eye. We haven't heard anything like that. So it's like, what what's really going on? And that sounds that sounds logical to me. It's weird. But hopefully, hopefully somebody takes control of that. Um, but I can't imagine that anybody would really want to sign there. I, I, I don't understand why. Somebody this offseason will sign with the Lakers. 
Here's here's what I've heard. Obviously, as uh, soon as Luke Walton was out the door, they said Tyron Lou was the first guy. He's the front runner to be the head coach there. Instantly, red light went off in my head, or green light went off in my head. We bought a couple of days before uh, Luke Walton was fired. The statement came out that Kyrie Irving has already said that he will meet with the Lakers this offseason. He's not against doing that. He will meet with the Lakers this offseason. And it's almost like, it's looking like the trio will be formed back once again. Um, with that being Tyron Lue, LeBron, and Kyrie. We've already seen that LeBron and Kyrie have made amends to where Kyrie understands now that it's a lot more difficult for him to uh, be the leader that he expected to be right off the bat. He said that everything that LeBron did, he he commends him because now he knows exactly what he had to sacrifice and go through to be the leader that he is. So I think that it's not outlandish to believe that, excuse me, Kyrie may end up in L.A. um, Mostly because, like I said, LeBron's time in L.A., I believe, is coming to an end. So I think Kyrie can see this as an opportunity to be like, you know what? I can go down there and that can be my franchise. I can also get a couple more years with Braun, get this, you know, get stuff under my belt. And then once Braun stabs out, you know, this is my ball club. And if they can also work something out to get Anthony Davis down there, along with signing Kyrie, I think that that bodes well for the Lakers future because I've, I've gone on record saying that if I, I believe that if Anthony Davis comes to the Lakers, he'll retire at Lakers. I See, I, I think that the only way Kyrie leaves Boston is if Boston trades him. I don't think if it comes down to a decision of Kyrie, if he gets to make the decision, I think he stays. I think he likes it there. And, I mean, he's got – it'll be his franchise there as well. Um, I, I, I don't see a reason why he would leave Boston for L.A. It just don't make sense to me. But, I mean, hey, that's what he want to do. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I don't think that uh, I don't think that, that that should be option number one for Kyrie. Like you said, he's already got his own franchise in Boston. Uh granted, Boston does have a lot of young talent down there, such as uh Jason Tatum and uh Terry Rozier who has basically shown that he's capable of doing some stuff. He ain't look quite quite that good in the first playoff game. That's who's going to go to the Lakers. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. Now, who I really think really got a strong chance of going to L.A. though was Kimba Walker because he's just looking to get into a situation where he could possibly – That's better. <laughs> that's so better. That That's a guy who I think will be licking his chops to go to L.A. It's Kimba Walker. I think Kyrie – I think he would like to play with LeBron, and I think all that sounds good. But with all this disarray going on and just all this crazy shit going on with the Lakers, damn, I sound crazy, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> I I'm all sick and shit. But, yeah, um, I, I just feel like with all this that's going on with the Lakers, it just wouldn't be smart for Kyrie to leave a franchise like Boston to go to L.A. I mean, like it, you it just, start from scratch again. Yeah, that would just would be stupid. To you me, already but, with a with a team that got the blueprint. Like y'all mapped it out already. 
Yeah, I I think y'all really do have a strong chance at Kimba Walker. Though I don't think that would be bad, Kimba and LeBron, but it ain't gonna be great. I know you probably want Boogie, but that'll make y'all so trash on defense. I don't think that'd be a good move for y'all. I think Boogie would be cool. Um, mostly because of the versatility that we have, uh, with our current Laker uh, roster, we switch everything like literally one through five, and with Boogie. I think that we would be in a, a pretty decent position to where we won't necessarily be able to switch one through five, but uh feel like we're we're uh agile enough to be able to excuse me, combat Boogie's uh bad defense. But I don't know. I don't, I'm not necessarily sold on Boogie as of yet. I need to see how he finishes out this playoffs and then I'll be more on board with him. But as of right now, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure. I don't know. At most times in the off season, I'm like, "This is what my Lakers need to do. This is what I want my Lakers to do." This year, completely different. I don't have any thoughts as to what the Lakers should do. I'm like, I really don't care at this point. I don't know what's going on. First and foremost, we need to get our front office in order. Then we can decide what we're going to do from there. But yeah, man, it's it's a lot going on in LA, and hopefully. We you know figure something out because if not, we're gonna be looking at the same thing we've been looking at for years. No playoffs. So, yeah, man, I'm I'm hoping that changes. But yeah, man, before we get out of here, let's touch on one more thing, man. Let's let's talk NFL real quick. Obviously, the draft's coming up. We'll probably have another episode to talk before that comes. But, um, Russell Wilson. There's a lot going on with him in Seattle. And as of right now, it's looking like he might be out the door. He's made a statement saying that uh, he won't re-sign with them unless they get a deal done by a date that he's already set, which I believe is coming here soon. Um, do you think it's over for Russell Wilson and the, uh, the Seahawks? Uh. I hope so. <laughs> Why you hope so? Because, you know, that's the only other team right now that can challenge us in the division, and it's only because of him. So hopefully he, he leaves, but I, I don't see why the Seahawks would let him go. I, I think they get a deal done. Um, Yeah, I think they get a deal done. I don't think this is anything to be be too hype about or concerned about. I felt the same way initially, but the longer that this thing has gone on and the more that the more of the reports that have come out basically stating that uh Seattle's not necessarily sure that he's their guy because he said yeah, I I don't that confused me a little bit, but um Skip Bayless made a good statement. He said Russell Wilson is a very good quarterback. But I don't see Russell Wilson getting much better than what he is now. And I was like, you know what? That's not that's not not true. Like that's not false. But you look at I guess other ball clubs and you see that their quarterback play is not uh it's either great or it's it it needs to be improved. 
Seattle was a team to where, yeah, they lost their whole defense, but Russell Wilson didn't. I don't know. Like these, the last I'll say the last two years, Russell Wilson hasn't looked like a. I guess he hasn't looked as good as the money that they offered him initially. When they first offered him his contract, I believe it was, uh, he was the, I want to say the highest paid quarterback or the second highest paid quarterback. Yeah, he was. He was the highest paid quarterback when they gave him his uh, last contract. And then a few other guys have passed him, and Aaron Rodgers now has the highest, is the highest paid quarterback. But since then, Russell Wilson has dropped to 12th. He's the 12th highest paid quarterback in the league. So obviously now he's trying to look like trying to look back into, you know, getting that money to where he's back up into the top top three range. But he really belong. He be, I don't know if he belongs in the top three. Exactly, range. and that's the that's the reason why I think that Seattle's making the statements as to say he's not their guy and all of this stuff because they probably feel just like Skip Bayless does. He's his best years aren't in front of him. So why would we offer him all of that money? And excuse me, the rumblings that I'm hearing are actually probably, I would say, beneficial for a team like Seattle. They said at this point, if Seattle can't get a deal done with Russell Wilson, they are looking at trading Russell Wilson to the New York Giants for the New York Giants first round pick which the New York Giants were likely going to take a quarterback with anyway. So New York Giants, when they're in, it's a win because you're getting a guy who's already established in the league. You know what he's capable of. And, I mean, you You just got rid of – Exactly. And you just got rid of Odell, and now you're trying to look at something to couple along with uh, Saquon Barkley. You know that him and Saquon, I feel like, would be pretty good together. And now you don't have to worry about grooming along a young quarterback with uh, subpar receivers. Russell Wilson, to be completely honest, has had pretty much a subpar receiving core his entire time at Seattle. So you, right. so you know he's, he can make it work, but he's never had a running back with the capability of a, a Saquon Barkley. He's had Marshawn Lynch and guys like that who are more run between the tackles, not necessarily guys who are effective in the passing game. So I feel like with New York, you get Russell Wilson, you automatically become better. Seattle, you trade, get that uh, first-round pick, and now you go out and draft a quarterback and put yourself in a better position. If you don't want to pay Russell Wilson, obviously you are already prepared to go into a different direction as far as grooming a quarterback. Excuse me. Doesn't hurt you not one bit to go out and draft a guy like Dwayne Haskins and start building your offense around him. I think that that's the logical move here. Personally, me as a Cowboy fan, I don't want to see Russell Wilson twice throughout the year. When I see him once, I'm already like, uh, I don't, I don't like it because of uh, his effectiveness with his legs. It, it really irks my nerve. There's nothing there. He's going to find a way to make a play. And just the thought of coupling him with the Saquon Barkley, I don't like it. But I don't necessarily think that that would be a bad move for either either party, if that's how it plays out. If they if they can get that trade done, I think both sides would be happy with it, and it would be successful for both parties. But 
I personally would like to see Russell Wilson stay in Seattle because if Seattle loses Russell Wilson, they no longer have an identity at all. Like it's it's they already lost their identity when they were losing their defensive pieces, but now that they will be losing their most valuable piece on their roster, it's like what are you gonna do now? I guess they gonna go into rebuild mode, but I guess Really, after thinking about it and everything you said about them looking to trade with the Giants, it does make sense considering no Russell Westbrook. I mean, <laughs> Russell, I always do that at least once. Me too. Russell Wilson is um, is not going to get any better, um, and their defense is basically gone. So, I mean, how much better as a team are they really going to get? Are they just going to be middle of the package, fringe playoff team? So, I mean – that's not really where you want to be. So you might as well just go ahead and scrap everything, get the money off your books, and go ahead and go at it again, see what you can do. Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be, that would be ideal for them. So I wouldn't be surprised yeah, to see – I wouldn't be surprised to see it play out like that. Um, yeah, man, that pretty much does it for the episode. Was there anything else you want to say to the people before we got out of here? Um, nah, that's it. All right, man, that wraps up another episode of the Pick and Roll Podcast. We appreciate y'all for listening. Keep giving us y'all's feedback and whatnot. Signing out, it's your boy Ish. It's your boy Sam. We appreciate y'all for listening. We out.